What if it rained food? What if Earth was a cube? What if we had nine lives? What if bits could fly? It's absurd. If money grew on trees, if we didn't have knees, if we walked through life slightly magnetical, it's absurd. Absurd hypotheticals. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Absurd Hypotheticals, the show where we overthink dumb questions so you don't have to. I'm your host, Marcus Lehner, and I'm joined here today by Chris Yee and Ben Storms. Say hi, guys. Hey, I'm Chris. Hey, I'm Ben. So I don't know about you guys, but I've noticed now that we are doing most things virtual, it's really easy during conversation to kind of just like look up facts and points and send nice links backing up your crazy statements as opposed to just wildly speculating, like typical conversation. People will know, though. They'll hear your typing and they'll see you not looking at the... I guess you're always looking at the screen, so it doesn't matter about that. But they hear your typing. Well, yeah, the, you're, you're showing them backup research. To, oh, to so you're not right. pretending that you know something. <laughs> well, I mean, you can also do that, but then you need a, a, very, a much quieter keyboard. Well, anyway, so, so our question this week is, what if that was all the time? What if your brain was connected to the internet? And I'm going to start. So I don't know about you guys. I'm corporate this kind of just like you have... All the knowledge of the internet at your disposal. You know, you can mentally Google everything that you need. And you don't need a, a keyboard. Yeah. <laughs> there was definitely a movie like this. It was like a Disney Channel movie. Did we talk about this on the podcast at some point? I feel like we did. Maybe. I, actually, I think so recently. Yeah, there's like a Disney something. Channel movie about like some kid who who like <laughs> got like like a computer encyclopedia in his brain or something. I don't know. It's basically this. So I guess we're stealing a Disney movie, which is a good place to start for for content. But anyway, I'm going to start with the obvious solution here, which is, of course, game shows. Because once you can not cheat, quote unquote, you know, type (laughs) with your secret keyboard, your SQL brain keyboard, to get all, to have all the knowledge at your disposal, the easiest way to turn that knowledge into cash is through game shows that don't expect you to be able to do that. So some game shows, of course, work better than others. I was looking at what one of those I actually started with was uh, was Wheel of Fortune because I was kind of curious how that would work out. I feel like that wouldn't help, right? <laughs> actually, I think it would. Well, there is an online Wheel of Fortune solver. Oh, really? Yeah. Where you can input, you know, what letters have been guessed and all that into a into a thing. It'll tell you what things to guess. The only thing that when I was kind of fiddling with it, the one thing I noticed though is that it doesn't really go to like common phrases or things so i think your your human brain is better at just like figuring out what the phrase is supposed to be based on common phrases and and things as opposed to just brute forcing it against the dictionary although the one thing i did like was it would tell you what letter to guess like what the percentage odds of if you guess this letter what if it'll be on the board or not so it'd be like oh there's a 23 percent chance that if you guess s it'll be part of one of these words that's pretty helpful yeah only i don't know how accurate that would be because like that's uh, it's, if it's just I guess if it doesn't words. know the phrase, yeah. If yeah. it's not trying to predict the phrase, then yeah. So I thought that was a cool feature, but it's going to be kind of ineffective, I think, compared to just your brain being able to figure things out. Well, it's not just the internet. It's your brain plus, plus the internet. So it could Your brain help. plus the internet, right. So you would be better than the average contestant because you have the backup of just, you know, using that best letter to guess algorithm. But you really don't need to be on Wheel of Fortune because, you know... Compared to other game shows, the prize values are generally pretty low, and you can't really choose to win the big prizes because, you know, you just get have to get lucky what you spend, and the general payouts are pretty low. So, the next one, 
you know, when you start thinking about big payouts, who wants to be a millionaire? Million dollar grand prize, basically guaranteed. Like, I can't imagine a who wants to be a millionaire question that they would pose that you wouldn't be able to figure out with the wealth of the knowledge of the whole internet at your fingertips. Who's hosting that nowadays? Ooh. Who is it can't hosting still it nowadays? Be... It's not Regis it anymore. It can't be Regis, yeah. I think it's some lady. I don't... That sounds right. Or it was a woman at some point. I don't remember. I don't know if it still is. Google says Jimmy Kimmel first off. That is not right. <laughs> no, no, apparently it's right. Really? Wait, what? What? As of, as of... Okay, so this is a celebrity-driven special batch of eight episodes. We'll oh, have Jimmy that, doesn't, Kimmel. that doesn't count. Okay, that doesn't count. That's what I found on Wikipedia, Actually, is too. it still airing even? It might not even be, be airing anymore. So I think it ended, and they're bringing it back for this, for this okay. Jimmy Kimmel one. Wait, apparently Terry Crews hosted it for some amount of time? <laughs> this is weird. Cedric the Entertainer? Sure, I apparently a lot has happened in the world of of who wants to be a millionaire. All right, it was Chris Harrison, host of The Bachelor and its spinoffs, apparently was the latest real one besides Jimmy Kimmel. That makes a little yeah. more sense. Yeah. So this one's pretty good. Million dollar grand prize. And actually, it has been more than a million dollar on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire. The biggest winner was uh, Kevin Olmsted, who won $2.18 million after getting it. Because they were doing this promotion where every time someone didn't win the million bucks, they would add ten grand onto it, and so it rolled all the way up to two point one million before someone finally won it. So you can't really set yourself up to make other people lose all that often and have them run that promotion. So you're pretty much you're guaranteed that one million, which is a good place to start. But the trick with Who Wants to Be a Millionaire is that you only get to play it once. Like you, they don't really have people on multiple times, except one guy who lost like the $16,000 question because the question had an error in it and then they <laughs> oh. brought him back after the you know he showed them that there was an error and that, then he won a million bucks when he came back which I thought was a cool story <laughs> like, I remember I watched who wants to be a millionaire when I was like really young and someone was at the million dollar slot and the question was about Pokemon and he didn't know it and I knew it and I was very annoyed <laughs> that's such a freaking troll question at the million dollars to put it as Pokemon it really is <laughs> my most defined I remember, I remember there was a guy who um got to a million dollars never using a lifeline and then on the million dollar question called his dad and said i don't need help i just want to tell you i'm about to win a million dollars because the answer is and gave the right answer and it was like amazing. The, the biggest flex it was so awesome <laughs> well, it's not like a weird wrong. flex it's just like so confident i know I got it. <laughs> it was so good so so after that i started looking at some other game shows to see if you know, where you might have a higher prize potential. But there weren't too many in that million dollar range that weren't just based on like pure luck, like, you know, like deal or no deal and nonsense like that. And it turns out the most obvious of all of all the trivia game shows actually has the highest potential for success. And of course, I'm talking about Jeopardy. In fact, if you look at just the top game show earners, you know, of all game shows across the board, all the top three all earn the majority of their money on Jeopardy. So, number one spot, of course, Ken Jennings, who has won $5.2 million through game shows, $4.5 million of which he won on Jeopardy. Absurd. So that, that number's a little gray in that about a little more than half of it was his actual regular gameplay and his 75-game winning streak. And an additional $2 million was a special, like, championship Jeopardies where the prizes were, like, two hundred fifty grand etc etc like all star all-star tournaments yeah champion champion type stuff 
He also apparently won 500 grand on Are You Smarter Than a Fifth Grader? And I did not think prizes on that show <laughs> went up to 500 grand. That's hilarious. Which is five times as much as he won on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, where he only made 100 grand, which is just disappointing, Ken Jennings. <laughs> <laughs> so 4.5 of his 5.2 was on Jeopardy. Brad Rutter, second place. He made 5.1 total, 5.05 of which which was on Jeopardy. And then he also won $100,000 on the Million Dollar Mind Game. So also, once he's strays from Jeopardy, he only wins one-tenth of the maximum amount. And then uh, in third place, James Holzhauer, who won $3 bucks, 2.9 of which was on Jeopardy, and 58 grand on something called The Chase, which is apparently a, a teamed event because he won a third of whatever the grand prize was. And then the last, the first person who, who won more money on something that wasn't on Jeopardy is Andrew Kravis, who won two point six million in one game in one game on the Million Second Quiz show. But it's kind of BS because they he won two point three million, and they deliberately rounded his winnings up to two point six so they could claim they had the highest payout on a game show. Two. So <laughs> okay, <laughs> I'm not counting that one. So yeah. so the highest single payout. You know, to someone, it's the Andrew Kravis guy for the million second quiz, but they only gave him 2.6 million so he could beat Ken Jennings 2.5 from his regular play. So I'm going to round it up to 2.6573. Yeah. (laughs) 2.6 is a random number to round up to. Well, it was 2.52 was was what Ken Jennings wants. They they just went 100 grand higher. Right, but it's they didn't like try to hide it because they went from 2.3 to 2.6, which doesn't make sense. Oh, yeah, no, it was it was like real (laughs) opaque. Yeah. Or real transparent, sorry, the opposite of opaque. But for our purposes, because of course we're going to try to win the max amount of money we can, I don't actually want to talk about Ken Jennings. I want to talk about this James Holzhauer guy. So like I said, J- Ken Jennings won $2.5 million in his 75-game run. James Holzhauer only missed Ken Jennings' record by $59,000, but his run was only 33 games. So in half the number of episodes, he won basically the same amount of money. Yeah, I watched a bunch of his run, and it was really impressive. Yeah, I watched some of it too. Yeah, he holds he holds the top seven spots in Jeopardy for the amount won in a single episode. <laughs> and there's a reason, and there's actually a reason for this. And the reason is that, or, or part of the reason, besides him being very good at Jeopardy, is that Holtzauer realized that the daily doubles in Jeopardy weren't actually placed randomly on the board. So he actually had mapped out all the... From 2001 till like 2018 when he was on, he had mapped all locations of all the daily double spots across the whole board. And it was far from random. So just to give you an idea of how skewed it was, the top they basically never put them in the top row. And by basically never, of the 11,131 daily doubles in the Jeopardy archive that he was pulling from, Eight of them, of all time, were in the top row. It was has never been in the second spot, you know, like column two, row one. Never had daily double there, and the top right corner never had a daily double there either. And then basically just going down the rows, it's you know second row ten percent chance, third row twenty seven, fourth row is the highest at thirty seven, and then twenty five percent chance you could be in the bottom row. I'm actually surprised it was in the top row at all because I don't. I I just assume that they didn't do that. They basically don't. Who knows why those eight times they did, but... Just to throw them off guard. Yeah, just keep it it random, I guess. And even the column... Weirdly, the columns also have varying percentages. So the far right column 
has a 12% chance of having one, while the second column, the highest, has a 28% chance. So it's more than twice as likely it's in the second column as opposed to the final column. That's so weird. Yeah, it's it's real bizarre. And it's not even like, there's no logic to it. It's just the, sec- the second and the sixth column are like unfavored for daily doubles and the first and the the third or higher it's like super bizarre so basically what i then did is i want to find out what is your kind of expected amount that you would win on a game of jeopardy assuming you can get every question right so you know by the time you you just immediately hit the buzzer and by the time you're have to put a question your your internet brain has told you the right answer so this this is probably a really interesting optimization problem for a math major, but I fudged it a little bit so that I could actually complete this without taking, you know, an extra math degree. So in the first run of Jeopardy, the board values range, of course, from $200 in the top row, increasing $200 each to $1,000 in the bottom row. And there's a single daily double in that board. So basically what I did is I took all the, the lowest odds in the highest value spots until the total odds of hitting a daily double was about 50%, then I used that as my average case. So basically all the the best spots I could pick added together until I got to 50% odds I would hit a daily double. So this is all, basically you can pick all the top two rows plus four more spots, the uh, the third and fifth row of column two and six. So you can make a little square of spots that you can pick. That includes spots in the third and fifth row. And this gets you to 50% odds of hitting something. And this is, like, a lot of the board. <laughs> like, this is all but eight spots on the board that you're able to pick before you end up at 50%. So, mathing it out, I'll, I'll skip a little ahead just to get, so I, so I can give you the numbers. So, in the first in the first round of the game, there's 18,000 total dollars on the board. You can expect to hit 12,400 before you hit your first daily double. So, you take that, double it, you're at 24,800. You pick up the last 5,600 points in the bar on the board. You have 30,000 left going into... You have $30,000 now going into Double Jeopardy, which is the same board again, except all the values are doubled, and there's two daily doubles now. So kind of doing the same logic of how many spots you can pick before you hit the first of those two daily doubles. I calculated you could pick up another 13 grand before you hit your first daily double on the second board. And then once you double, double again on that... Now you're at 88,000. You pick up another 11,000 before you hit the, ne- the second one. You're doubling up to $198,000. Finish up the board. Now you're at $209,600 once you finish the double Jeopardy board. But you're not done yet because, of course, in Jeopardy, there is the final Jeopardy question where you get one last chance to throw, take all your money, throw it in, and double it. So assuming you get everything right, your average game show winning would be $419,200 per game of Jeopardy. Now, of course, the whole reason I picked Jeopardy in the first place is because when you win Jeopardy, you get to go play again. So Ken Jennings played 75 games in Jeopardy Row because he won because he was, you know, 74-0. You're saying it would just never end then, right? Right. So I figured, let me let me get your yearly salary because you, ha- you can only play so many games of Jeopardy because only so many Je- games of Jeopardy are played each year. But it turns out they've kind of pumped these guys out. <laughs> yeah, there's, I mean, there's an episode every day. <laughs> yeah, it airs five day, it, all, it airs on all weeknights. So there are 230 episodes of Jeopardy aired each year. So if you put that all together, 
you would earn $96,416,000 each year for, you know, just working the Jeopardy circuit Monday to Friday, which is pretty awesome. Also, you'll owe about $47,918,000 of that in taxes <laughs> that you'll yeah, have to give suck. back. <laughs> so I think, I think that's a pretty good system. Interestingly, the last thing I calculated was, say... Not only are you are you omniscient in Jeopardy, but also incredibly lucky. What is the maximum amount you could win in a single episode? If say the last spaces you hit each round are your daily double, so you win all the money and then double as you know in the most efficient way possible. And it's actually not that much more than you had. So our average is four hundred nineteen thousand. The maximum you could possibly you know win in Jeopardy is five hundred sixty six thousand four hundred. So you're really not too far off of that. But yeah, this seems like a pretty damn good system, and I couldn't find any other game shows that came even remotely close as far as, you know, quote-unquote earning potential. Flaw in your system, though. So being connected to the internet doesn't improve your reflexes. You still need to buzz in first. Well, so here's the thing. You hit the button, and then you have that mil- You know, you have that second to actually give your answer. The thing, because I've heard, I think, like, buzzing in before you actually know the answer is a common strategy that people use. and. I think in terms, because I've listened to an inter- interview of people, like the higher people that have won a lot of money on it, and they say that pretty much in all the championship tournament things, most of the people that compete in there know all the answers. It's just a matter of who buzzes in first. I mean, I guess I kind of assume, like, you know, I'm not sure how much of it is literally just button reflexes, or if you just have to... If you can just say, I'm going to know every question 100% guaranteed, you can just hit it without even taking a second to read the question. I guess, yeah. If you if you, if you you can basically guarantee, right, that you're going to know the answer, you should be able to just, like, focus entirely on timing the press. I think it's not going to be, it's not going to be easy, but it's definitely something that you, you get a leg up because you don't have to be thinking about the question, really. They also said that if you're a repeat contestant then you have an advantage for the the reflexes because you know the timing of it already it's not like you click the fastest you have to wait for it to to be able to click right and then i think it times you out if you do it too early that's true so since you've already been on it once you know the timing so you have a better chance of getting the buzz well i didn't know my math assuming that you get all you, you just yeah. stay in control of the board i <laughs> right. did not look into buzzer timing because it didn't i just assumed that you'd be able to do it faster than everybody else because you would know all the answers immediately that's why I waited until the end of your answer, so I wouldn't ruin your answer. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even think you ruined it. You just said you get better with practice, so you just gotta you just be practicing. Yeah. And whether you win ninety four million dollars or forty eight million dollars in the year, I think the answer is still go on Jeopardy. This is still pretty, uh, yeah, it's still a pretty good system. All right, Mister Smarty Pants. Let's, what do you got on your answer? <laughs> my plan. Plus, oh wait, no, it's my answer again. No. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> my plan. Well, I didn't come up with a plan to get a lot of money. I came up with a plan to. Avoid internet spoilers, because whenever I think of the internet, I think of spoilers. And recently, a lot of things, a lot of like media things that I've been consuming, I've had this issue where I've had to avoid spoilers. So obviously, if your brain is connected to the internet and you're always on the internet, this is going to be an issue. So I looked at some spoiler stats, like from audiences, and there was a survey conducted by Morning Consult in 2016. They surveyed almost 2,000 people, and they said that 50% of the people thought it was very important not to be spoiled by a book, TV show, or movie. I thought that was actually surprisingly low, 50%. 
Yeah, once that's, that's that's like a real responsible and you know <laughs> self-reflective people to be like, yeah, you know, spoilers don't matter, instead of getting vehemently gut reaction angry about it. But I mean, people still care, obviously. So who is responsible for spoilers usually? This was also part of the survey, and they said that thirty-seven percent said they were spoiled on Facebook, thirteen percent said they were spoiled on Twitter, and then six percent said quote-unquote online which i guess is just anything else online other than facebook and twitter and then the remaining percentages were from family friends workmates and tv news so in total that's 56 percent is due to the internet so obviously the internet has a really big chunk of spoiler it's like it contributes to a lot in terms of like family and friends and all those people i can just ignore them and I will be spoiler free, and that's easy enough. <laughs> why, do you just, why do you just pick the worst lives for yourself every time you have a hypothetical? Well, I mean, that's the case right now, anyway. So if I want, if I don't want spoilers, I just tell someone not to spoil it for me, and I don't have to worry about TV news because I don't have cable anyway. So <laughs> the way you said it was just like, I don't want spoilers, so I'm going to abandon my friends and family. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you know a friend that is known to spoil things, then avoid him. Or just get over it <laughs> have a friend. Well, if he's purposely spoiling things for you and you know that he knows that you don't want to be spoiled, then not a great friend. Yeah, it's probably indi- indicative of other things that might not be good friendship yeah. material. So I found another survey. It was conducted by TiVo in 2014, and 78% said that they had been spoiled by a TV show, movie, or sporting event in the past at least once in their lifetime which I think is actually pretty impressive for that, those other those other people who have never been spoiled for anything. 24%? That, yeah, that's that number's crazy to me. Yeah. Like to say you've never had something spoiled for you. Again, this is, a, I guess, relatively, this is a pretty small sample size. I think this one was also 2,000 people. That's a pretty big sample size, actually. Like, with statistics being the way they are, that's probably like with like a couple percent margin of error. Right. So, yeah. A lot of people haven't been spoiled, or they just don't admit that they've been spoiled for some reason. And again, surprisingly, 25% said that they intentionally seek out spoilers, which I don't understand. But I guess there are some people that, like, when they're reading a book, they go to the last page and read the last page before they read the book. So, whatever. I've definitely heard about people, and this is, you know, this this is a, a use case, I guess, for that, who don't like horror movies, but like knowing what happened in horror movies. So they, like, go to the Wikipedia page and just read the plot summary. Because they don't want to see the movie, but they want to know what happened. I don't I don't know. I don't get it, but... Actually, I've done that before because I'm not really a big horror person, but some stories are interesting to me. I don't want to deal with the scariness, so... <laughs> there you go. What's this ring of movie everyone's talking about? <laughs> <laughs> that's I wouldn't consider that spoil- like spoilers, though. That's just like reading... That's consuming the story without watching it. I mean, it is... It is literally spoiler. I mean... You're not spoiling the how... story for yourself. You're just experiencing the story then in a different way. Maybe the 24% of people who never had something spoiled, isn't that, isn't that they haven't gotten spoiled? They just, they just are too into semantics to admit they got spoiled. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I didn't get spoiled. I just learned about the plot of the movie without watching the movie. <laughs> in my <laughs> mind, spoiling means that you're going to watch the movie, but then you read something or whatever that says the plot of the movie so that when you watch the movie, you already know what's going to happen. According to a survey I just conducted, 24% of people have a far too narrow <laughs> definition of spoilers. <laughs> okay, whatever. I disagree Regardless. with you, but <laughs> anyway. I, I, you, have, you have a point, Chris, but... 
And then 59% blamed online news headlines for spoilers, which that's a really big pet peeve of mine, spoiling something in a, a news headline. And the article that I, that I got the Morning Console survey from, the author of it actually had this quote that really annoyed me. I'm going to read it. So he said, actually, I don't remember if it was he or she, but the author wrote, some of my colleagues are more protective of putting spoilers in headlines, but I've always been adamant that anyone who has the passion and time to post a complaint about being spoiled has no reason to complain because if they're that passionate, then why haven't they already seen the episode, movie, whatever in question? Ugh. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, that's missing the point by a lot. So... I don't know. That I just wanted to read that quote because it really annoyed me. What actually the, the ones that get me are the ones that are pretend are, are like pretending to have a non-spoiler headline but the context of it like actually does spoil something anyway. Yeah. Like you won't believe how Snape killed Dumbledore. And it's like, well, no, you you've spoiled that Snape kills him. You probably should have put a spoiler award before that. <laughs> alert before <laughs> no, this one doesn't count cuz this defense is <laughs> How could you not possibly know this by being a human being on the Earth? Yeah, I guess that's true. I was spoiled for Infinity War, and that, I guess it's kind of impossible now, but when I saw it, it wasn't really impossible. Eh, there wasn't anything worth spoiling in Infinity War anyway. <laughs> so next I wanted to look at, like, what's the general consensus for how long people should wait before they spoil things? So again, going back to that morning consult survey... thought that it was okay to talk about spoilers 24 hours after a show airs, which that's really short. (laughs) Like, wait longer than a day. Um, (laughs) And then 61% thought it was okay to talk about spoilers after opening weekend of a movie. So a little longer, but still very short. There was a similar survey in the UK, and they averaged their results, and they said that the average was 33 hours for a show and 10 days for a movie. And then to like reflect this a little bit in society, because I guess this is sort of an accepted thing, the Rousseau brothers, when they were releasing Endgame, they asked the community to not spoil anything for two weeks. But then after those two weeks passed, they said it was okay to spoil things on the internet, which, okay, I guess. <laughs> Did that work at all? <laughs> I don't know. I, I do remember that... Um... There was so so you know I'm I'm a big football guy, and um, there was a football player, Sean McCoy, who like the weekend it came out just dropped a spoiler on Twitter. Like, <laughs> like I don't want to. I guess everyone's fucking seen Infinity War at this point. I guess I can I can uh, spoil it, right? Like this. I guess just I mean spoiler alert. Alert. Spo- spoiler alert. If you haven't seen Infinity War, you mean Endgame, right? I guess take out your earbuds for twenty seconds or whatever. He just, like, dropped that they killed Iron Man, like, the day after it came out on Twitter. And <laughs> and Twitter just, like, went off on him. It was so funny. Yeah, I hate stuff like that. Yeah, I was pretty upset when Snape killed Iron Man. That was, it was a weird scene. I thought there were buds. <laughs> very, very, really took me out of it. So, obviously, it's a pretty difficult thing to avoid spoilers on the internet. So, I wanted to come up with a plan to avoid this with my always connected internet thing. But instead of doing that, I instead found this this study that sort of suggested that spoilers increase the enjoyment of of whatever you're consuming. Apparently it does. There, there's evidence that it might. Is there a logic behind it? So this study is called Story Spoilers Don't Spoil Stories. <laughs> and it was conducted in 2011. 
and they had 819 participants read a bunch of different short stories all like different genres and stuff and ahead of these stories they provided like a paragraph of spoilers for some of them and not for others and then after the story they asked them to rate the story from one to ten and the results were that surprisingly there was a very consistent higher rating for all genres when it was spoiled so obviously this is pretty surprising because like the natural reaction when you hear about spoilers is like oh that's that's really bad i don't want spoilers but apparently in this case it increased enjoyment and they didn't really know why there is this this discrepancy but one theory is that being spoiled like against your will or like accidentally uh robs you of your autonomy so you get it loses reduces your sense of having a choice in being spoiled so that's just one theory but then there are some other studies that have taken place since that 2011 one to sort of like go into this a little deeper about why you might enjoy things more there's a 2018 study that focused on horror movies it was called spoilers go bump in the night impacts of minor and major reveals in horror film enjoyment and the results weren't as consistent as the previous one. So there were some people that were um, impacted negatively and then others that were impacted positively. And what they found is that it depends sort of on your personality type. So if you have what they call a high need for effect, that means that like you seek out strong emotions rather than avoid them. So like you seek out like really intense thrills or something like that then you have a positive reaction to spoilers. Um, and then if you're, if you're low need, of, need for effect, then it's the opposite, then you have negative. Um, I think the reason for this is because when you're spoiled for something, you're anticipating the scare. You know it's going to happen, and you're waiting for it to happen, and you're waiting for it to build up and, and all that stuff. And eventually when it happens, it happens. And, but all that lead up is like is enjoyment because you're building up to it. So... They actually had a bunch of other studies after that. They had like five different studies on the same topic. Yeah, I wonder. I, I wonder if it is related to like comprehension. So like you know how, you know how like when the reason we like to listen to the same songs over and over again is because our brain likes being able to predict things. So I wonder if it's related to like being able to understand the story and like your brain likes watching the pieces kind of come together. Yeah, like, that's you know where it's going. That could be part of it. Like if they know that something's going to happen, they can see the creator setting that up to happen. So I was and they also can, like, gonna, sort of admire that. going to say that part of it for like, like, you know, I do like rewatching stuff sometimes. I think part of it for me is that when you know how the story goes, you don't have to like, if you don't know what's going to happen, you spend some amount of time trying to figure out what's going to happen. Like you're just, you're always going to do that. Right. But if you know what's going to happen, you can actually focus on the more like, you know, like the art of the film more than trying to just like piece out what's going to happen. Yeah, you don't have to focus on processing what's happening either. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And there's nothing worse than watching a show and just like it doesn't just it just doesn't make any freaking sense. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Also, that. like if you're like, wa- like, no joke, like if you're watching a show, and you're like, they're doing all these things and maybe it's building, you know, maybe it's building up to a big reveal and like stuff like that. But you need to know kind of what's happening. Like, in even a, like even in, a, say, like a sci-fi, you know, TV series where it's like, okay, all this weird stuff's going to happen in this town. It's almost a spoiler. The spoiler is kind of like, oh, I know it's in this genre. So I know these weird things are going to happen. So your, your brain's able to be like, okay, these are the weird things that are going to happen. But if, like, weird shit happens in a show that's not set up like that, you're just like, 
I don't get why I'm consuming this and it doesn't fit anywhere. I can't keep track of all these weird things out of context. And so I think that would, I think comprehension is part of enjoyment. If I would write a, if I'm writing a study, <laughs> let's, let's just disprove these, you know, these professionals <laughs> right here, right now. I mean, all those points are pretty valid, I think. I think there is a difference between rewatching something and knowing what's going to happen and watching something the first time and being spoiled. But apparently, because I think they did check to see if people had watched these before or like read these short stories before to make sure that it was their first time. But it, they still did see some people have a positive reaction to spoilers, even if it was their first time. So so I guess they con- they sort of concluded that enjoyment is a very complex thing. There's a lot of different factors that go into that. And there was no, there's really no general consensus for the, like the general population for if spoilers are good or bad, but obviously it depends on your personality type and my personality type in terms of like consuming media, I do seek out like strong emotional stuff. So according to these studies, I would enjoy spoilers, even though I disagree. (laughs) (laughs) So I guess technically I wouldn't really necessarily have to avoid spoilers, there is another case study that I want to look at that displays the positive aspects of spoilers, and it goes back to Jeopardy, specifically James Holtzauer going back there. So as as Marcus mentioned, he had a 32 winning game winning streak, and he was on 33 episodes, and he had won $2.4 million on that one streak, which is the second longest streak of any anyone just behind Jen Kenning's. Ken Jennings. <laughs> Jen, Jen Kennings. Kennings. <laughs> the, 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 the new, the now it's Ken Jennings in a dress and a mustache, yeah. but, you know, having another go at it. Yeah. But what happened with James Holtzauer is that the Sunday before the episode that he lost, it had actually leaked that he was going to lose that episode. And then that Monday morning, all the news outlets covered it and Pretty much everyone knew that he was going to lose before that episode actually aired. But because of this, their ratings actually soared. So that episode got an overnight rating of 10.1, which is the highest rating they've ever gotten on the show in 14 years. And to compare that to something else, so game one of the 2019 NBA Finals also got a rating of 10.1. So it's pretty crazy that an episode of Jeopardy can compete with nba final ratings well do you remember how big a deal it was when ken jennings was on his run like yeah it was in all the news outlets all over the news and i mean in that case i don't think his losing episode leaked so i guess it didn't have this reaction but since everyone did know that he was going to lose everyone decided to tune in it was that probably was the reason why the ratings were so high oh yeah i mean yeah it was like he won a bunch of games you can only lose once right like right so that's just, I thought it was a fun, positive aspect of spoilers. Again, apparently I would enjoy spoilers, but I disagree. And so don't spoil anything for me. <laughs> um, listener, don't comment spoilers. Uh, ben. <laughs> <laughs> so Marcus kind of briefly touched on this a little bit with the, the Wheel of Fortune, um, you know, letter Oz thing he mentioned. We've we've mostly talked in this episode about how you can like look stuff up on the internet, right? Which I think is sort of the you know the first thing you think of, you know, is it's oh yeah, I can I can find any information I want to. But there are like oh yeah, my co-hosts are uncreative slobs. But no, let me tell you how it is. I wasn't gonna say that; just imply it. Um, <laughs> but 
there are a lot of ways you can, you know, actively use the internet too. Um, and some of these are a little more obvious. There's things like, you know, like communication. You can, you know, email people with your mind, which is kind of cool, I guess. It's kind of like a shitty version of telepathy. I don't know. It's not really all that impressive. <laughs> like, hey Ben, check your email. Check your email. <laughs> it's just like, like, like a um, like an, an ASCII like middle finger. It's like, oh well, that was cool, I guess. So like, you know, you can do that, but whatever. But I was thinking more specifically along the lines of APIs. So API, API stands for, um, how did I not put this in my notes? God damn it. Hold on, real. Application Program inter- Interface? Hold on a second. Application. Application Program Interface. Got there. Off, off the dome. And it's basically just, it is a, a web framework of some kind where you can, you can send in a request and it gives you something back. So obviously there are, you know, most of the internet is powered by APIs. Something like Google is just an API effectively, right? So it does cover the kind of things we already talked about. But also there are ways that you can use an API to do something more actively than just looking at information. So the first thing I thought of was something like poker. So there exist APIs where you can send in basically a poker hand and it'll give you the um, you know odds of winning before like the flop index is hold them, odds of winning throughout the game, odds of other hands that other players could have, all of that back, which obviously is pretty useful, useful information to have, you know, theoretically for trying to say what a bunch of money playing poker. I don't know in this particular example how useful it actually is because I know most like professional poker players can already do like just know most of that math either literally or sort of intrinsically. Yeah, they have, they have a lot of heuristics. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so it's it's. I don't think poker is necessarily a great example of a place where you can just you know use this API and suddenly be like the best poker player ever. But it would be good and you know like playing with your friends and stuff. A place where you could actually do something similar and be the greatest player ever is chess. So in chess, one of the ways that people you know sort of analyze chess is through chess engines, which are basically just computer programs that take in like a chess board position, chess board state, and just calculate out what the best possible move is. And someone, of course, has written an API that connects to the Stockfish open source chess engine, which basically Stockfish, there's a lot of different chess chess engines. Um, Stockfish is considered like right now probably the best. Um, sort of for some some context on how good it is, chess uses the the ELO rating system, which is like a numerical rating that goes up when you beat people and goes down when you lose to people based on the difference in your ratings. So like a casual player will have like a 600 800 to 800 ELO in chess. Tournament players will be like around 1,500. Uh, the current highest ELO rating is uh, Grandmaster Magnus Carlsen, who is just considered like the best chess player in the world right now, who has a, a chess rating of chess, or, well, an ELO rating of 2,863. For comparison, Stockfish, the, the chess engine that has this API attached to it, has an ELO rating of 3,438. So it is a considerably large amount better than the current best chess player in the world. So conceivably, if you could connect to the internet with your brain, you could go to chess tournaments and just hit up this. It would 100%, by the way, be cheating. Let's not beat around the bush <laughs> on this one. But. Well, Marcus has no issue with that. Well, yeah. I mean, 
We're, we're going to roll with you it. You thought of the move, right? <laughs> I mean, you, you technically did. You technically did consider You did consider the board state and then use that to make a move. So, I mean, <laughs> I think you're in the clear. If they ever make you, like, play chess in, like, a Faraday cage, you might be in trouble. But That's going to be really awkward when you end up paired against it, against the AI. That would be hilarious. <laughs> the ultimate mirror match. Right. I was going to say, do you think it play- they ever have it play itself? But I think that's kind of how the whole thing works in the first place. So is it, is it- there actually is a group that I, I, I looked up when I was looking up, um, trying to figure out like the, the ELO reigns and everything. There's a group called CCRL Blitz. That's just a group of people who just like are fascinated by chess engines and just play them against each other and then like rank them against each other based on the outcomes. So yes, they do that. <laughs> that's a thing. <laughs> <laughs> I know they actually also do there are tournaments that are like chess engine versus chess engine that have like prizes and stuff for the you know the people who made the um the chess engine that are mostly used as a publicity stunt effectively because like if you make a chess engine that can win one you can advertise it that way and people will use it basically it was a really cool three weeks when we were exactly as good as chess as computers were man yeah that was that was fun <laughs> it's good time it is I will say kind of terrifying that there are like, like, you know, people like Magnus Carlsen who are, you know, in the same realm as literally a computer that that can actually just think, you know, dozens of moves ahead of every permutation of move, which is absurd. That's kind of terrifying that people can actually do that. Yeah. Yeah. Chess is always interesting in the way it develops because not that I know anything about chess really, but it seems to be like, once you get to that point, it's a lot less like if I move my bishop here, it's like more a lot more like flow of the game and recognizing patterns, like what, like getting into winning patterns of moves. It is. It really is. I've also I've also heard that apparently like high level chess players have just played so much they actually do have, they they have like like emotional reactions to different to to good board states where it, it almost becomes you know obviously they think through things or anything but they can just look at a board state and not thinking about the possible moves just by looking at it be able to start telling if it's a good or bad board state which is absolutely insane it's like oh man i can't i can feel that bishop move right yeah exactly (laughs) yes anyway point being you could go out and just absolutely dominate chess which is a pretty cool option probably less lucrative than the jeopardy plan but it does it does take it to an entirely in your control you know there's no no reflexes involved nothing like that it is just all you being able to reach out and crunch the numbers and, and spit back what you need. You also get the title Grandmaster, which is just awesome. It's a to really have good title. Name. Yeah. Like Grandmaster Magnus Carlson is like the coolest thing. It's so name good. Ever. It is absolutely amazing. I yeah, every, every time it's like the most the absolute most perfect name title combination I can think of. There's just really nowhere you can go but down from there. It's like the name of like a retired D and D hero. Right. Like you've you- yeah, exactly. <laughs> After you save the world and everything, you you are finally titled Grandmaster Magnus Carlsen. But yeah, so chess domination, good option. But we're still, in, in both of these, both the poker and the chess options, we're still really just looking stuff up, right? Like it's more, it is more, you know, stimulus based, but they're still just looking at information. I want to do stuff by, by connecting my brain to the internet. So now we're going to talk about smart homes. So... Everyone's kind of familiar with the basic idea of smart homes, right? You know, you have like, you know, like the Nest thermostat and, you know, you have all these security systems and stuff you can check with, with your, you know, whatever their web UI is. So now you can check all of that with your brain. 
this doesn't actually get you that much. It's cool. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> it is pretty cool. Like, the security thing is kind of cool. You can, like, put up security cameras and just, like, you know, see them. But it's not... You can also just do that on your phone, so it's not getting you that far. But there is, you know, some cool stuff there where, like, I don't know, you can... There's not much there. It's just all on your phone. But you can do it without your phone now. That's cool. I ran into that a bunch when I was trying to come up with ideas. I was like, oh, this is cool. But you can just do that on, the, on your phone already. Yeah. I mean, you save like two seconds. And yeah, so like, so that's kind of what I ran into with the smart house thing. I was like, oh, you can do this cool thing of your smart house. And you like, think, oh, I want, my, I want my house to be cooler and I'll just turn the thermostat down. But you can also <laughs> just think that and then pull your phone out and turn your thermostat down. So... That one kind of went out the window. So I needed something more visceral, something that would actually give you something you couldn't do. Like you could technically just do on your phone probably, but it's not going to be quite the same as doing it just in your brain. So that's why I got to flying drones. So there is a an API-based drone control platform called Flight Cloud. Of course, flight is spelled F-L-Y-T because it's like, you know, a startup and you can't just spell something normal. You need a Y or a Z in there somewhere or an yeah, X. It has to happen. You can't have you can't have the correct number of letters and one vowel has to be changed to a non-vowel letter. Those are the rules. Those are just how we live. <laughs> and that's how you dodge other copyrights. Also that. But yeah, so they are, they are an API-based drone control platform and they, they interface pretty much all like, you know, all the major drone ones the one that i saw is like the dji ones which are the ones that i always see on sale for like 800 dollars. those are like the good drones apparently but basically it's a platform where you can control a drone in real time and do live video stream through either wi-fi or they now do it with like 4g or 5g lte so if you could connect your brain to the internet you could basically like i'm gonna say you could fly that's not a hundred percent accurate but it's also not completely inaccurate i like this thought process of having like this like virtual video escape right you know are they still doing um was it wasn't firefox have like the the red pan the the red panda stream oh yeah yeah they still they still had that i mean there's actually like most zoos at this point have some webcam somewhere at some you know exhibit that you can just checking on some animals. Are they still doing that? Are those how old pandas? are those panda cubs? <laughs> are they alive? They probably swap out the pandas at some point. <laughs> they don't guarantee it's always the same pandas. That's not like in the fine print somewhere. Is is Marcus looking it up? Marcus is. I'm looking it up. Looking at the pandas. <laughs> all the all the links all the links are from like 2011, which makes me really not helpful for it's the not. Firefox Red Panda live stream. Firefoxlive.org. I'm I'm letting, I'm letting Marcus go to the end of this room. I don't know where he's yeah. going, but <laughs> I went to well, I went to the, the old link where it used to be Firefoxlive.org and is now um it just says Mark Monitor. So I guess I'm monitoring this. Protecting brands in the digital world. This domain is registered and protected by Mark Monitor. Oh, so it's it's parked is what you're saying. Someone else so Firefox no longer owns the domain. Is what you're saying. Did you know that more than half the Fortune one hundred trusts? More than half of the Fortune 100 trust Mark Monitor to protect their brands online. I did not. Well, now I know, thanks to that website that is not there. <laughs> Mark Monitor sounds like an identity theft like management company for a very specific clientele. People named Mark. <laughs> anyway, point being, you can fly a drone with your brain, which is cool. 
I don't know how useful it is. I actually spent a while trying to figure out if there was something useful you could do flying a drone with your brain that you couldn't do just flying a drone. Could not think of anything. <laughs> I know you can also like plan out drone paths in this. So you could like do that. But once again, you could just do that with like a computer too. But it would at least be kind of like flying and closer you can get normally, which is cool. I don't know. Point being, you can kind of fly. It is cool. <laughs> I was like, is there a point? I mean, that's kind of what it comes down to with most of these. The sad thing is that for the most part, the most, most useful thing is definitely the chess thing. I guess the poker yeah. thing too. Is Anything kind of... that you need to, cons- like that you're not allowed to have your phone out is useful. Right. Like exactly, the Jeopardy yeah. thing or the chess thing. But the other thing you can do, you can write an API. Like I've written APIs. It's pretty easy. So conceivably, anything that you can think to, you know, you can make some sort of algorithm for. You can also just call out on a command, which I'm sure there's lots of uses that I couldn't think of while I was trying to research this question. So if you can think it, you can think it. Yep. So that's kind of what I had. You can play poker real well and chess real well and kind of fly and make your home slightly cooler or warmer. Probably the most useful thing would be like keeping a mental calendar that's actually a google like link <laughs> it's actually connected to your google calendar God, that was actually the saddest thing was that so much of the time it's the most actually most useful things that i would do if i was able to do this were just the absolute most boring thing so it's exactly stuff like that it's like stuff i'm too lazy to do to take out my phone but if i didn't have to take out my phone i would actually do it yeah it's like when i'm at the grocery like i actually thought of this when i'm at the grocery store i always keep my my grocery list on a google drive like doc because then the biggest thing is my wife can like update it, you know, we can both update it and have the most updated version. So like I could just have it in my head, which in theory I could do in real life. My memory just sucks, but that's not an exciting answer. Yeah, no, honestly, that would be also like, that's also it's like a big draw. A big it's really like... nice, but not fun. So play chess and fly drones. Well, the important thing is, is you can go fly your drone like when other people are talking to you, you don't want to listen. You can fly your drone during the chess tournament while you're waiting for your opponent to make their move. I love the idea that like the announcer is like, he's always so focused. You can you can just <laughs> see him like staring through his opponent as he's as he's uh as he's he's thinking. And then in my head it's just like vroom, 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 like I <laughs> <laughs> just like, oh shit, a hawk. <laughs> or you're just playing like Tetris or something in or, your mind. Or that, yeah. <laughs> so Ben does a bunch of useless things, as usual. Ben, are you ready for the would you rather? Sure. Would you rather spend all your money shopping on Amazon or eBay? Ooh. Ooh. Wait, hold on. Actually, this feels really easy. All all your money? Like all your money. So it's not you. All your money. So it's not you only shop there. You have to spend all your money in how much time are we saying? No, I think it's, I think it's, I, wait, is it, is it you well, only let's, shop let's, Let me interpret that like. Whenever you spend money, you have to do it on one of these. Okay. Two. Okay. That's different. I mean, I'm pretty close to one of these already. <laughs> I don't think you can use eBay. I don't feel... Because, like, what about food? Yeah, I don't can think... you get food on eBay? I don't eBay? think you can. I mean, you That'd can get... That would be very sketchy, I think, if you bought food on eBay. There's probably packaged food again on eBay, but it's going to be real unhealthy. <laughs> Is there anything you can't get on Amazon? I don't think so. You can't get, like, furniture, or, like, big furniture, but... Or a house. Can you get a house on eBay? <laughs> Is there anything that you can't get on Amazon that you can get on eBay? Do they still have cars on eBay? Cars and houses is what I'm thinking. You can buy a house on eBay? 
Pretty sure you can. I don't know if you can anymore. I feel like they shut, shut down a lot of that stuff. Okay, so eBay Motors still exists. So I guess the car is a big one if the house isn't a thing, but if it is, then... Um, I don't I don't think you can... All categories. How do I... If you can buy a house on eBay, that's actually a big difference because you'd have to do eBay then if you want to... If you don't want to be homeless you because you can't, you can't, you can't pay, pay rent, rent either. Yeah. Um, I'm trying... Okay, okay. So I just went on eBay and searched houseboat. One, also, I hope you realize the sacrifice I'm making. I am going to destroy the emails I get from eBay for the next, for, you know, the foreseeable future. When you search for houseboat on eBay, this, this is very fun. So you know how on eBay you get, like, they'll have, like, the, the price filters? My options are under $15,000... $15,000, and over $29,500. There's nothing over $29,500. Why'd you give me that option, eBay? <laughs> There's only one for... This is bad. There, There is a... There is There are 77 results for residential real estate, and they look like there's people selling condos and log cabins and a hobby farm on eBay. All right, so you can at least... There's also an exquisite, unique horse property. There is apparently a four-bed penthouse estate in Cancun. Free local pickups. It's in Boston. How convenient. Oh, wow, yeah. <laughs> let, me, let, me, let me turn on my guaranteed three-day delivery filter. Who is... Wait, what is this? Is this... Hold on. The person selling this only has... Okay, wait. This is incredible. The person selling this is selling two things. One is a four-bed penthouse in Cancun for $1.2 million. The other is... What are you? You are a charger pack for a lithium-ion battery <laughs> for twenty dollars. <laughs> what? What happened here? <laughs> Why are you selling these two things? I'm very confused. So you could get like a tent on eBay and live in a tent, and then you could buy like everything that you need separately on e on, on Amazon. I mean, so you could buy like a hot plate or whatever. That's true. But you can also buy a tent on eBay and then buy a lot on eBay. I guess you would need the address to get deliveries. Yeah. So I think you have to... I think... I think are you going to wind up having to use option. eBay? Yeah, this I think that's shocking. the only choice. Like, Amazon doesn't work. What kind of food is on on eBay? I'm sure you can get all sorts of packaged food. Bulk freeze dried uncooked sirloin steaks. Ooh, how how much is this? Thirty six fifty for. It just says one bulk package. Are you not saying how much steak this is? It just says one package. What does that mean? Oh God, this looks disgusting. I mean, yeah, they're freeze freeze dried steaks. I don't know what I was expecting. They don't look good. <laughs> I mean, in general, I would pick Amazon, but since we can't have a house or like an address it's not an option i don't think i can pick amazon it's impossible to pick amazon that's incredible you can buy a lot of freeze-dried food on ebay yeah i mean you can i think everything that you buy on ebay ebay is lower quality than stuff you could buy on amazon but you have to do it mm -hmm. i did not expect this unless you can somehow like live with someone else and work at a deal where you don't have to pay rent i mean i guess that that's possible. Then you could do Amazon. You know, you can get a house on Amazon. It's just house season one. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's like the first thing I searched, and that's the first thing that came up. <laughs> yeah, Amazon is not going to have real estate, and apparently eBay does. So yeah, who who decides to sell their home on eBay? Why who, why is this an option that someone has has gone through? 
Like, I don't... <laughs> why would you choose this? Okay, so the, the thing is, I guess the question is, can you get to a point where you're so comfortable selling stuff on eBay that you're just like, I could sell my house on here. But like, what are the... I know how this system works. What are the selling fees? I just feel like it's, you're going to wind up spending more doing this than if you just got a realtor. <laughs> I don't, I don't understand. This is so weird. I mean, there are not a lot of houses on there eBay. There aren't. There was 77 search results. Yeah. You know, our country has, was it, 300 million people in it? That is not a lot of that 300 million that is, you know, putting their houses up on eBay. Anyway, I guess we have to we have to make a decision on this, don't we? I think the the would you rather has made its own decision. Yeah, I did not expect this. I am shocked, but I think it's eBay. So all th- all three of us have to go eBay. All right, I, th- I think that does it then. If you enjoy this episode or any of the episodes, or intend to enjoy future episodes, and want to show your support for that, and you know, be thankful to us as far as we're th- as much as we're thankful for you listening. You can go to our Patreon, www.patreon.com slash absurdhypotheticals. Click on that Become Patron button. It's just a dollar. You get our behind-the-scenes episode. They're cool. We talk about how we make the show. We do, sometimes we have guests, sometimes we do weird things. Uh, Sometimes we just brainstorm for new things that we're going to add to the show. Lots of good stuff. It's a bit different every time. Well worth your dollar. So feel free to go and do that. But... Whether you do or not, feel free to join us next week where we answer the following question. Well, it's not a question. We're going to do a random superpower fight. Everyone gets random powers and we duke it out. Who's going to win? Find out next week.